Take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of James, if you would. James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 22 through 27. James 1, beginning in verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How many have ever audited a course? Anyone ever audit a course? Pam, Stephanie, oh, a few, right? I've always wanted to audit some courses in Spanish. I've always desired to learn the language better. I took three years in high school. Um, just never have carved out the time in my schedule. But I like the audit process because you get to take all the information, but you don't have to do any of the work. Doesn't that sound good? I wish life was like that altogether, right? But audit is a word, literally, I don't know if you know, it's a word in Latin, and it means he hears, auditory. You can hear it from the word itself, auditory. So you get all the information, but you don't do any of the work. And I thought tonight, you know, James is talking about being a spiritual auditor. Because here's what he says. There's a lot of people who profess to be Christians, and they spiritually audit. In other words, they hear the word of God and they hear all the information, but they don't do the work. They're not living it out in their lives. And can I tell you tonight, spiritual auditing takes place when you come to church or our kids come to church and we hear the messages on Wednesday nights and we hear them on Sunday school and Sunday nights and you might listen to podcasts during the week. And we are, can I say it nicely, we are professional auditors. Because we think, unfortunately, that our theme, go to grow, we think that spiritual growth often equals information. That all I need is another conference, another book, another sermon, whatever the case. And if I just had more information, that I'd be different in my life. And here's what the Bible says. The problem isn't with the hearing. The problem is when the hearing is not accompanied by doing. And James, who is the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ and was steeped in Judaism himself being a Jew, was well-versed with that concept and its importance in the Old Testament. Um, The Orthodox Jew, even to this day, will quote the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6 and 4, um, in the morning and in the evening, it was so also in Jesus' day. And if you know anything about the word Shema, which it come, they call it, it's the word to hear. 
Samuel's name, Shamuel, is what it would be, is the word Shema in it, and it means here. And Hannah had a boy, and he, she said, God, the L at the part, the N, Samuel, God hears. So when you say the Shema, it starts out, Shema Yah Israel in Hebrew, meaning, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that's how you would start. But hearing in the Old Testament doesn't mean what it does in English in the sense that you hear and all you mean is you take in the words in your ear and you listen. It's always more than that because following Deuteronomy 6.4 is Deuteronomy 6.18 where it says to hear again but also challenges to say hearing is doing. It actually says and you must do the commandments and the statutes and the ordinance which the Lord your God has given to you. So Shema in the Old Testament hearing was almost always the inference was that they understood that doing would be involved. Hold your finger here and turn to another important passage that I actually want you to look at tonight because it's so pivotal. And that's Ezekiel chapter 33. Most of the major prophets are when Israel was disobedient, mostly idolatrous, and God was bringing either the Assyrians or the Babylonians in to take them captive as a punishment by putting them into exile for their disobedience. And interestingly, Ezekiel characterizes Israel's disobedience of his time in this way. Ezekiel 33 and verse 30 says, As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, say to one another, each to his brother, come, listen to this, and hear what the word it is that comes from the Lord. Let's go listen. In other words, hey, they didn't have a problem going to church. They loved going to the temple or the synagogue or whatever it was. They, they loved doing all of that. Let's go hear the word of the Lord. But the hearing wasn't the problem. Let's keep reading. Verse 31. And they come to you as the people come. And they sit before you as my people. In other words, hey, they look like God's people. They sit in church like they're God's people. He says... And they hear what you say. Well, where's the problem? Ready? But they will not do it. They will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart is set on their gain. In other words, they had this great desire to sound like they are your people. But when it comes down to it, you know what the only actions that come out of them are things that are for their own personal agenda, what they can get an advantage of, their gain. He says, Behold, verse 32, you are to them like one who sings lustful or beautiful, desirous songs. I mean, it just really makes them feel good when they hear it. And they play well on an instrument, for they hear what you say second time, but they do, they will not do it. In other words, we would say today, 21st century vernacular, we come to church and the preacher has a good message. Wow, that's special music and that choir number today. Whoa. And then piano was all, it was all, and they loved it all. But it leaves, they, they leave, they're unchanged. And then they sound and they acted like they even said a couple amens. Right? But they never was there an intention to do it. When this comes and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among you. Jesus himself, you don't have to turn there, but you know these verses. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and on Sunday mornings, we will get there eventually. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with this story. You know, there are the two people who built their houses on different foundations, right? Remember that? The one builds it on the sand, 
and the other one builds it on the rock. And the end of it was not a minor thing. The difference of what you built it on was tragic because the one that built it on the sand when the rain, the storms came, the floods, it says it fell. And, and then it puts this line, and great was the fall of it. Under, it, was, it ended up in total destruction. And you know what that means, right? But you know the difference between the two? is the one who hears God's Jesus' words and does not do them, and the other who hears it and does it. That's what he says. The difference between two people and the one being destroyed and the other one standing firm, the difference was is they both heard, but one did and the other one did not. I and mean, you can go throughout Scripture, and this is a very important principle that's stressed all over, that as a Christian, here's what marks us is that we hear God's word and we do it. Warnings all throughout, like red lights going off in Scripture in almost every book of the Bible, warning Hebrews 5.11. I would like to tell you these things, but I cannot because you have become dull of hearing. And it says their ears, God has deafened. I mean, and over and over again, the Bible is replete with people who are being convicted in the scriptures of being spiritual auditors, where they come and they get inundated and flooded and overflowing with all kinds of biblical information. But the reality is that God's not impressed because here's why, because they don't do it. So you have to read this passage as James presents it and ask yourself, am I and am I teaching my children to be spiritual auditors? In other words, let me give you examples of what that might mean. We tell our children, God is worthy, but he's not worthy enough to even come to church regularly for some. He's not worthy enough to give our money to him. He's not worthy to get up early or stay up late. We tell our kids that God is holy, but would they understand what that meant by what we watch on the internet and the TVs and the movies and the language that we use? We tell our children, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and we know that verse. God is first. But do they see it practiced on our calendars? Does it match our priorities? And the way that we say, this is most important in my life and you as my child. See, we say, God is love, and God is kind and patient. Is that the way we treat others? Is that the way that you respond to your spouse? When your children are disobedient, is that the way that you discipline them? See, spiritual auditors, it it can have a profound impact, not only in your life, but in the lives of those that you're around, especially those in your home. And here's the crazy thing about it. Look what James says. See, when we become spiritual auditors, guess what it it results in? It results in self-deception. Look at the scripture. He says in verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers. What if you only are a person who hears all the time and you don't do it? What's going to happen to you? Listen, you know what's going to happen? You will deceive yourself. Now, in James chapter 1, if you've never noticed before, deception and that is a key word and theme. Chapter 1 and verse 16 says, underline it, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. The one that we just read, you deceive yourselves. On down into verse number 26, which we read tonight also. If you don't bridle your tongue, you think that you know God, you think your religion is real, 
But you don't bridle your tongue. He says you deceive your own heart. And, and here's the reality. The problem is, is that hearing and hearing and hearing, but never doing, you know what eventually it does? It lulls us into this delusion that, that our faith and our Christianity is real. That we can sit in church and believe the lie that the more I know and the more I learn and the more answers I have on the Bible quiz and I can offer up the right scriptural answers makes me godly. And here's what James says. Don't be deceived by that because it's easy to do. It's easy to hear the word of God, take it in, but never have it come out, he says, in your life. It's a deception. Now, in the original language, all three of the English words deceive are different Greek words, and they give you different shades of meaning about what that deception is. The first one in verse 16 means to be led astray. In other words, if you believe for a second um, certain things, you, you could be led astray if you're not really looking inside and saying, hey, am I doing this? Or, hey, is this part of my life? Verse 22, it means to misjudge or miscalculate. The more you know without doing it, the more obvious or more tempting it is to not understand what you're really about in your Christian life. The last one, verse 26, means to entertain a fake hope. In other words, if you think that you're religious, you have a fake hope. In other words, it's not real in your life if your tongue doesn't match it. And that's why in James 1, if you'll circle it in your Bible if you're doing that tonight, these words, deception, are also accompanied by the word of God. And so verse 18 says the word of truth. Verse 21 says the implanted word. See it? Verse 22, be doers of the word. Don't be just hearers of the word. And here's the key. It's your relationship to the Bible. That's the issue. And we have to start viewing the Bible as not something that I just hear. It is something I do. Let me stop and give you a commercial. Ready? That's why for years, over and over again, I keep trying to say this. Don't have devotions. Wow, pastor, that's not very spiritual. You're supposed to be the leader of our church. Don't have devotions. Have meditations. You know what the difference is? The difference is devotions are, by and large, sorry if I'm putting you in a category and stereotyping. But most people's devotions is, I read the Bible for 10 minutes, give or take, in the morning, maybe sometimes using a devotional booklet, and I read about the Bible, but then you know what? I don't ever think about the Bible. I don't think about what it says. I have no plan of implementing it and putting it into my life and practicing it at all until the next morning, and I usually read something completely different. So if I do that, and I'm faithful at it, 365 days a year, here's what's true of me. I have learned 365 different things, and I have never practiced most of them, on purpose anyways. But yet we think that's a good way to go about it. Meditation, the word means to go over and over and over again on it. That's why usually the word meditation in Scripture is accompanied by the explanatory phrase, day and night. So it says, meditate on God's word day and night. In other words, all day long. You know why? Because the plan is to do it, to observe it, to obey it. So when you get up in the morning, the difference between devotion and meditation is I spend some of that time in God's word thinking over, mulling over, how am I going to practice it today? How am I going to do that today? So in the middle of the day, I come back, or at the end of the day, I come back and say, hey, Did I do that today? How could I? And by the way, and then for me, I meditate usually on the same thing all week long for a week at a time. I don't go to something new. I only go to something new every week or two. For me, 
I have to do that because it takes about that long for me to actually do it and get it into my life. So instead of 365 different things a year, I probably do 50. And I'm hoping by the grace of God that out of those 50, I might be able to implement 25 of them. And if I get half of them, I feel pretty good because that's helping me take another step toward maturity and Christ-likeness in my life. Here's what James says in our Bibles. He says, you know what you got to do? You got to stop deceiving yourself and believing the lie that just hearing it and reading it, not because they're wrong, they're good things, very good things. They're just not enough if you're going to be a true Christian and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and be like him. It's self-deception. If you don't believe that you can deceive yourself or that people do that, I wouldn't encourage you on a regular basis, but watch American Idol. Have you ever seen the tryout versions? You ever seen that show? I cracks me up. Now, I haven't watched that for years, but I've watched it on the opening sessions enough to know that there are people who actually think they have talent, and it's not even close. I mean, you wonder, dude, you, I could sing better than you and I haven't even practiced, and I'm no good, Right? And these people get up there and sing, and you go, they're all over the map, and they're, they're, it's, it's awful. And then they walk out, and then when they're not accepted and get the ticket, they're mad. I go, are you serious? You cannot be mad. You should be fortunate that they let you on the stage, right? But you know what? But you know what it shows me? That's how deceived we can be. That in our hearts, we can really believe that I'm that good. I have talked to people i played sports all my life. I only made Division Three ball, which really is glorified high school, right? But I have people telling me, and when they're 15 or 16, I think I'm, I'm going to be in the NBA. I go, I don't know what you think those initials mean, but it's not the National Basketball Association, right? And I don't want to be mean. I'm just saying, hey. Find another alternative in case that one doesn't work because, but you know, I think people don't understand. Have you ever, someone, I think people think they're smarter than they are, more talented they are. And can I tell you this? Listen to this. You know what the worst one all of it is? And it's all of us. We think we're more spiritual than we are, more godly than we are. Can I tell you this? Know that about yourself because it's true of every one of us. Every one of us. And here's what James says. Be careful, because the more you take in, if none of it's going out into your life, you're deceiving yourself. You're, you need to wake up, he would say. Stop kidding yourself. The danger is, listen, Bible learning without Bible living. And we are so good at it. See, even tonight I told you, get this book. But I can tell you this, reading Rewire Your Heart won't rewire your heart. Right? You're going to have God do that. And God will do it when you do things in his, your life to change the affections that you have for sin. What kind of life is it? Let me throw one more verb at you there. Verse 22. But be doers. Now see the word be? This is not a technical thing. It's important. It is the Greek word to become. In other words, this is not something that happens overnight. I'm not talking about be a doer. Let me tell you. Be careful. Ready? Here's the deception that I don't normally do the Word of God. I, I read it all the time, and I study it all the time, 
don't ever really put into practice that much in my life. So I go home this week and I do it one time, or hey, I did it this month one time. It's not talking about an event. He says, here's what I'm talking about, a life becoming this. This is part of your, it's a to be verb, you, who you are, he says. Because anybody can do something, do something one time. It doesn't mean that's who you are. He says, this is what the Bible does. It needs to get down into the core of who you are. And this is what happens when it becomes you. So don't believe the lie. Here it is. Ready? That God is okay with orthodoxy without orthopraxy. You know what orthopraxy is? Practicing the truth. He's not okay with it. He's not okay with keeping the right creeds without having the right deeds. He's not okay as long as you have the right beliefs without having the right behaviors. And you know how I know that? Turn a page over. Don't do it. Listen to me. James says this. You believe that there is one God that is a quoting the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He says you practice and speak every day to yourself as an Orthodox Christian Jew, the Shema, you are orthodox like that? He says, you believe there's one God? Listen, you do well. He goes, but know this, the devils, the demons believe that and tremble. You know what that is? That is this. <laughs> I'm saying, you know what I think of orthodoxy without orthopraxy? I don't think nothing of it. And he follows that up with, in a section that he's saying, faith without works is dead. See what he says? So it's not, I'm not downplaying beliefs and doctrine. I'm not downplaying any of that. But without the praxy part of it, you're, kill, you're deceiving yourself. So last thing, 10 minutes, ready? What would that orthodoxy with orthopraxy look like? Look at the text, two examples, and they both begin with the little if phrase, a conditional phrase. And I'll point it out to you. Chapter 1, verse 23 says, see it? For if anyone... Go down to verse 26 and circle the second one. If, verse 26, anyone. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to give you two examples. If you want to be this Christian that is a hearer and a doer, he's going to say, let me show you two examples of what it would look like. Right? So he's not talking theory. He's talking practice. First one is a contrast or an explanation between two mirrors. The last one is an explanation of two religions. All right, let me show you. Verse 23, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, if this is you and you're self-deceived, this is what it'll be like. You're like a man who looks intently. This is not a, this is looking in a mirror and it's not looking in a mirror for a quick glance. Okay, this, let me give you an example. This is not, the difference is between how a man's getting ready for work and looks in the mirror and how a woman gets ready and looks in the mirror. A man looks in the mirror and says, oh yeah, um, that and this and I'm done. Okay, women look in the mirror, and an hour later, they're still looking in the mirror. Is that, is that wrong? My, oh, my wife's in here. Sorry about that, honey. But. No, m- by and large, women will look a little longer than men, right? And this is what it means is looking close. Men probably should look a little longer, probably. So let me tell you, that it means this. It literally means to bend down, look over something, and scrutinize it really close. He said, here's what people who don't do the word or like. And and let me explain one more thing. Mirrors in the first century were not like ours. Ours are really nice and clear and you can see yourself. They were basically highly polished brass or bronze, which means this, they weren't clear. In fact, most of the time they were distorted and dim. 
So you really didn't see yourself very well. If you wanted to get a good idea of what was going on with this, you take the mirror and you get real close. Here's the idea. People who hear the word of God and don't do it, it's like they look real close and see what themselves like and immediately they just forget about it, it says. They immediately forget about it. It doesn't have any lasting impact on them. They see it, but it doesn't, they don't do anything about it. They just go on about their way. In contrast, look what it says, verse 24 and 20. But if you look into the perfect law of liberty and you look at it, same word, if you look at it intently, I mean, you get real close to the Bible, the word, and you look really hard at yourself and see yourself as the Bible sees yourself. He says, you know what happens? And you, per, this key word, and you persevere in it, you keep doing it, you keep meditating on it, keep thinking about it, digesting, practicing. Living. He goes, you know what's going to happen? It's going to free you. And that's why it's called the perfect Torah of liberty or freedom. It gives you the freedom to live out the truths. See, that's the issue. It's not just looking at it. It's letting that freedom of the Bible that it has, and the power of the Spirit, get in your life and begin to change your life. You're looking, in other words, I look into the Bible and I let the Bible look into me and change me. And it goes from here to here, listen, to here. From my head to my heart to my hands. And it makes a difference in how I live. Because that's what takes place when you look at the Word of God. He says in verse 25. I'm sorry, chapter 1 and verse 25. But who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer? Let me see. Listen. He will be blessed in his what? Doing. There are three Beatitudes in James. Chapter 1, verse 12, this one and another one later. And chapter 5, and a word blessing in chapter 3. He says, you want to be blessed? And the opposite of the blessed person is the cursed person. Read Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, other scriptures. He says, you want to be blessed by God? You know what the blessing comes from? Not just reading and hearing, doing. When you do the word of God, God's blessing is on you. Now watch, that's the first if. What would the doing be like, Pastor Walker? Okay, if I look in the mirror of God's word, I'm intently at it, and I look at myself and say, listen, the only way I'm going to change is I let the word of God get off the page and into my heart. And start doing it. And what would it look like if I did it? Verse, seven, verse 26 and 27, the second if phrase. See it? If anyone thinks he's religious. Religious is not 21st century American definition. Religious doesn't mean I'm Baptist, I'm Catholic, I'm Lutheran, and I, I kind of devoted to that. None. Religious is a word in the Greek world that meant what you did and external practices to be devoted to your God. In other words, it were the things that you did in your life to show that this was the God that you worshipped. And all the gods had things they expected of their people, not just the Christian God. So remember, they're outward practices. So here's what the outward practices of knowing that God is your God, the God of the Bible, here's what it would look like. Please listen, because it's not what you would think. If anyone thinks he's religious, if you think you know God and you're really worshiping him with your life, 
Here's one of the outward practices. You will bridle your tongue. Ready? So you won't be a person who gossips and slanders people. You're not talking behind people's back. That's not you. You're not having a tongue that's... And by the way, if you want the full description of this, read James 3. When James says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, and is set on fire of hell. I mean, he says it pretty strong. And this is why he says, hey, this is a matter of where you really are with God. Because if you can't control your tongue, guess what? Either your tongue is of God or your tongue is of hell. Not a lot of options in between, he says. But one of the chances, see, bridle your tongue. James 3, 2 says the exact same word. If you, it's putting a bit in it. Hey, if you don't have the Holy Spirit putting a bit in your mouth, controlling what you say, and you're flying off the handle, and you're screaming this, and you're yelling this, and the profanities, and you're... If that's who you are, he says, listen, I got news for you. Verse 26. You're deceiving yourself. See it again? He, he, it's, it's in a bracket in this thing. If you think that you're not controlling your tongue... And that's not a big deal. He says, you're fooling yourself. Wake up. Your heart is not what it says you are. I mean, it is actually, you are not what you think you are because your tongue betrays you. And you know Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why it's such an issue. He said, you're deceiving your, it's not just that you have self-deceived. It's more than that. He says this, this person's religion is what? Worthless. Not off a little bit, not back, no, it's worthless. The word is the same word used in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and it talks about this. If Jesus is still in the grave, Paul writes, then guess what? Christianity in our faith is worthless. It means it has no value. It literally means this, empty. He goes, you know what kind of faith you have? If you profess to be religious and the outward practice in your life of your tongue is out of control, here's what he says about your Christianity. Worthless. Meaningless. Doesn't mean anything. Watch, though. That was the... You know what it'll look like? It'll look like doing this. It'll, it'll be, here's the first outward practice. Here's what you'll be doing. You'll control your tongue. Watch the other two, and they're the flip side. Ready? But pure religion, see, here's bad religion, fake religion, verse 26. Here's the true religion. King James even actually translates it that way to help you understand it's a contrast between pretend religion and real religion. Because real religion, or King James, I think, says true religion is pure and undefiled, temple terms. You want to bring this religion into God? This is your God, and so you're going to worship him, and you're going to bring these practices the way you live. If you want to bring this part of your life and say, God, here you are. You're my God. Let me show you. He says, here's what God will accept. Pure and undefiled is what it means. God will accept this kind of religious. Ready? Two things marked off by two infinitives. To visit and to keep. See it? Here's two actions that you will do. One side of it is social justice. You will visit the lowest people in the culture who are on the lowest rung of the social ladder. You will visit widows and orphans, people who can't defend themselves, and everybody's you know, running over them in life, and they have barely scraping by. He goes, you know what will be true of you if your religion is real? Like Jesus, you'll care about people who no one else helps or speaks up for. You will. You'll care about those things. And you'll do everything you can with the opportunities you have 
to make a difference in people's lives. One side. You know what the other side is? You will guard yourself from being like the world, he says. Unstained. See, here's, you'll be in the world helping people, but the world won't affect you or infect you. You know why? Because the word of God is in you. And it comes out with this action. I care about people, but I don't, I love people, but I don't love the world. See, it is? I don't, I'm unspotted by it. I'm unstained by it. It doesn't corrupt me. You know why? Because my religion is authentic. It's real. And so when I tell my children he's worthy, they're going to see it. When I tell my children God is holy, they will see it. When I tell my children that God is first and he's worthy of all of it, they'll see it because it's real in my life. They'll see it inside my home and outside my home. They're going to see it in the way I respond to the world and how much I care about people. It won't be a game. It'll be real. See what James says? See why it's a danger to be a spiritual auditor? Is that you just take the course in and you get all the information spiritually, but you don't do any of the work. James says, beware. Very seriously dangerous place to be in your spiritual life. Thankfully, he goes on to say there's more tests than that. There's more things to learn. But for tonight, may I encourage you, don't audit Christianity. Don't audit it. Don't be just a hearer. Be a doer by the grace of God. Let's close in prayer. Father, we're so thankful tonight that your word is clear and explicit. We all need to, we all need to hear the warnings that you've laid out for us in the Bible. Help us as individuals in the congregation not to believe the lies and therefore be deceived to think that hearing the Bible is enough, that just studying it or reading it, as good as all of that is, is enough. Lord, it's not complete, and that's a big word in James, perfect, complete. It's not completed until we do it. Father, intentionally, purposely, strategically, May we as a church and we as individuals plan to do the word of God. We need lecture and we need lab. We need them both if we're going to be like Jesus. Help us to do that the more. And we pray that in his name, Jesus. Amen.